All right. Hey, go to 1 Samuel 17. Let me just pray because there's something so simple, so simple I want us to get this week. Um, we're talking about battles and weapons and defeating Goliaths and things like that. I uh, just want to make sure we, we know a little for sure what our weapons are. So, Father, thank you. Lord, teach us things. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds so that you would teach us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and teach in terrific ways exactly what each individual here needs to hear. That's what I'm asking you to speak to them. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. We talked last week about... Um, David and Goliath and actually I think this is my third week in it, isn't it? Is this my third week? Maybe it's not. Third week, thank you. Somebody's paying attention, not named me. Uh, so, uh, but we, we looked last week at the fact that um, David went after this giant and the giant was much more than just a good fighter. He represented all that the enemy was going to throw at the Israelites. And he was going to take him down. Remember we said last week that it was interesting that Goliath was setting the terms of the battle. Remember that? This is a really important thing to get a hold of. The, the Israel was allowing the enemy to set the conditions of the battle. Don't do that. Okay? If you're ever going to go into a game or a fight or a spiritual battle, do not let the enemy decide the terms of the battle. Don't do that. In fact, it's very important that we don't do that as believers of Jesus. And you say, well, yeah, that seems pretty obvious. Listen, the church fights the same way the world does. We've just bought into their game plan. We bought into their conditions. We've bought into, let's wrestle Goliath. Let me just tell you, it won't work, it doesn't work, it hasn't worked, and Goliath looks good, and the one fighting him gets beat up. And I do feel a little way that the, the church worldwide, but we, we definitely have an inkling towards the Western church, we have just kind of gotten beat up. And it's not because we are weak, it's because we're fighting on the devil's terms talking this morning about let's take this to another level let's go in a higher level let's take the battle to new heights where we win and if we take the battle to the new heights we come out victorious Goliath falls we lop off their head and we take all the spoils so I want us to really get into the fact that we are in a battle we can't pretend we're not and that we need to fight our way and we need to fight using our weapons, and we need to fight not like everybody else fights. Now, David, of course, gets, comes, he boldly says, hey, I'll, I'll fight this guy. And, you know, we were talking last week, it's one of the more miraculous things of this story isn't so much that David defeated Goliath. I think the most amazing thing is Saul let David fight. That's amazing to me. Because you do know what happens if David loses, which obviously he will lose. All of Israel becomes servants to Philistines. That doesn't make any sense why Saul in that moment said, go ahead and fight. 
And the, the interesting thing about this is I do think there's two things, and I think we're going to see it happen in our nation, in our region, and in the nations of the world at this time. I think two things. I think Saul was so tired of getting humiliated, he was going to try anything. And he was willing to try a foolish thing to defeat it. So that's one. And then I also think that in a moment of not thinking carnally, he bought into God's plan. Unknowingly. I don't think Saul said, this is the plan of God. I think he said, man, I'm tired of coming out here for 40 days looking like a fool. Yeah, go ahead and do it. My guess is if I were Saul and David takes off to the front line, I'm thinking, oh my word, what did I just do? And maybe Saul thought that, but he let him go. And he let him go out there. And so I think that's a cool thing. Don't, be, don't shy away from when the world says, go ahead, church, take your turn. You better be ready. You better be ready. Don't say, well, I'm just a shepherd. I just got sheep. I can't talk that much. Remember what we said last week? David was called. David was anointed. And David was prepared. And therefore, he went out there. I'm telling you, you are too. You are called. You are anointed. Now listen, the prepared thing, the called and the anointings on God, the prepared thing is on you a little bit. So if you feel completely unprepared, it's a crash course in getting ready to fight for Jesus right now. So you get prepared. Whatever that means for you, get prepared. But I'm telling you, if it's just, oh, woe is me, I'm probably not that good. That's of the devil. You just pushed that away and said, listen, I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear. Nobody saw it. It was just in my home or my backfield. You are prepared if you're following hard after Jesus and he can use you. So anyway, so David, David goes out. I told you I was going to lose 1 Samuel 17. I did. It's gone. This might be the last time I ever teach on this verse. Um, the, verse 38 this is where I want us to get to today because it's a really important thing. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I want you to get this picture in you here. Saul was a pretty big dude, okay? Saul was no slouch. In fact, this whole story, we... we uh, exalt David, but really this whole story is to the shame of Saul. Saul should have fought Goliath. Saul was a big dude. He was a warrior. He was a fighter. He had all this stuff. David wasn't. But when David said, I'll go fight him, Saul says, well, here you go. Take all my stuff and put it on you. Saul had the same weapons Goliath had, and he was looking to fight Goliath on the same way that Goliath was fighting. And so, and there goes the hearing of God's word floating away. Um, I, I probably should have something better than it. This literally just ripped out this morning when I came up here. So. The, the, um, but, so he tries to put on his tunic, his sword, his helmet, the whole thing. And here's David. I want you to get this picture. Think of, you know, you've dressed a little kid in a big kid's clothes. He's like this. Oh, he's tipping over. He's all that stuff. He's ready to go into battle using weapons he had no business using. In fact, the best that David could have done was maybe get to the battle. And then here's what he says. I love this because here's where 
here's where we oftentimes don't admit this. We walk around with the, the weapons and the armor that the world has, and we pretend we know what we're doing. Listen, we don't know what we're doing. We don't. And so we try to get better at them, and we're using the wrong weapons. David points out the obvious. David says, this is a good verse. Have it circled, underlined, read it, whatever. In the middle of that next paragraph after verse 39, he says, I cannot go in these because I am not used to them. So he took them off. I love that. He didn't say, well, give me a week to practice. He says, I can't go in these. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't walk. I can't pick up the sword. I don't know how to wield a sword. That guy's been training for his entire life. He's the best warrior in the Middle East, and I can't use this weaponry. And so he says, I'm not used to this. Now I want you to just hear this. In the future, David uses a sword. Okay, so it's not like he never got used to them. David was a mighty warrior. We don't ever have another indication of David going to battle taking slingshots. I want you to hear that because there are seasons God changes your weapons. But the thing that never changes is you use the weapon that God gives you. That never changes. So don't think that you always use the exact same weapon. But so David goes and he, he says, I'm not using it. He takes them all off and he says, the way that Goliath is fighting, I'm not going to fight. He says, I need to fight in the weapons God has given me. And you know how the account goes. He goes and he, he chooses five smooth stones um, from... Um, how many ways could that possibly go? There it is. Um, he chooses five stones and, he, and a sling, and he goes to the battle. You know the account. He whips the stone. It hits him in the forehead. Goliath falls down. But I want you to see in the middle of this, David was not fighting Goliath. Get this, because our battles are never flesh and blood. Now, Goliath fell, but David was not fighting Goliath. David went to another level. And he said to him, he says, you come against me, you know, with, with weapons and swords and stuff like this. He says, I come against you in the name of the God of Israel. And he says, he says, I'm going to take you down. Do you know why David was going to take him down? So David's name would be great? No. He says, I'm going to take you down so that the nations would know there's a God in Israel. That's why he was taking him down. Why is it a passion of mine and yours and ours? Why is it a passion that we see Jesus gain victory? It is not so people can say, wow, he's so great or she's so great or they're so great. No, it's so everybody knows there's a God overall and he's pretty cool. And we need to take back, step back and take notice of that amazing God. That's how he fought him. That's why he fought him. And he used the weapons that he was used to and that were real in that thing. So I want to get today to, um, I want to get to the most basic weapon we have. We don't have a lot of weapons. We kind of do, but we don't. The reason God didn't give us like a thousand weapons is because we're not that sharp. Okay? Now, there are people like the Ravi Zacharias's of the world and all those smart people and you watch them and I think it's really cool to watch them because I have no idea how they're so smart. There are those people. Newsflash, it's probably not you and it's definitely not me. They're out there, let them go for that and let them take their stone and run with it. But I'm telling you, God gives us weapons that are simple so that everybody can join the battle. 
talking this morning about weapons of, of praise, weapons of gratitude, weapons of thankfulness. Those are weapons. They're not just good character traits that makes it nice to work with you. No, they're weapons. You've, you've been there. You've been in a situation where tension's gotten really high. And how did you fight it? By getting also really tense? No. You fought it with an opposite spirit and it brought it down. Those are weapons. It's not just she has a nice character. It is she is fighting the battle using the weapons of the spirit. See, we've got, we have the fruit of the spirit. We have the gifts of the spirit. Both of those are weapons that defeat the enemy. Sometimes we just think of the power of the spirit as go after them. Listen, the power of the spirit is every time the spirit is working, there's power. So the power of the Spirit is just as powerful if you're demonstrating peace than is if you're demonstrating declaring and driving out a demon. Same power. It's the same Spirit. So don't think that just because you demonstrate, a, if you want to say a behavior, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's a weapon. If it's the power of the Spirit, it's a weapon. If it's the gift of the Spirit, it's a weapon. Anytime the Spirit is being demonstrated, He will win every time. Why? Because there is no name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved and every knee will bow at Jesus. So the most basic things we have are the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the thing I want to talk to you today, the simple gospel. The gospel. Now here's maybe a confession of me and an observation of many others. I think we try to um, teach too fancy, cutesy, entertaining, I don't know what the thing is, that sometimes we miss the most basic, basic things. And there's nothing more basic than you coming to Jesus, being forgiven of your sins, being taken into his presence for today and all of eternity and to live with him forever. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's all it is. And, and I was thinking this week or last week or whenever these weeks, you know, we're, we're definitely, in, you know, unusual is probably the best word to describe the season that we're in. But I do feel an urgency to be ready for odd things that are coming. And I have no insight into what's coming. But I do know the more basics we are rock solid on, the better we will withstand the storm. The greater our foundation, the stronger our foundation, the better it is, the better we will withstand any storm. And if you in construction, you lay a foundation. Of course you do. You don't lay a foundation for one specific storm that'll come in September of 2025. No, you have no idea what that storm is. But you lay the foundation so it will withstand any storm. And this is such a strong building block, the gospel, uh, that I want to share with you today. You know it. You, I hope you do. But if you don't, I hope you get it today. I want everyone here to leave today knowing for sure and certain of your salvation eternally. And I want us to be able to at least in the most basic, simple way, be able to, if somebody says, hey, I hear about the gospel. What is the gospel? I'm totally confused. I want you to at least be able to, using stick figures, be able to explain it. 
It's not complicated, and I want us to understand it. Let me just, uh, a little, this thing's up here, that's what I'm gonna teach, if you're wondering what that is. My favorite thing is a guy falling off the cliff, that's awesome. Is that not cool? I like that little guy. Can you guys see this okay? You gotta look through a basketball hoop, yeah, all right? All right, so if you get dizzy because of the hoop, you know, you can move or whatever. In, in 1987, it would have been March, I think it was March, it was my brother's junior year of college, my junior year, no, must have been your sophomore year of college, my junior year of high school. And um, we were in Florida on spring break at my grandmother's um, trailer, my grandparents' trailer. And at that time in my life, I was just having a lot of fun being 17 years old. I was a pretty good kid, but I wasn't like chasing after Jesus at all. I wasn't even sure what that even meant. Um, I had a good background, but things were not clicking in my brain when it came to salvation. And it not only wasn't clicking, I wasn't clicking anything to try to get it to click. Uh, so there I was just having a good time being a good, I was a pretty good person. And there was a reason I was a good person because I, I believed in a heaven. I was pretty sure there was a hell. I, given a choice, I would prefer heaven Right? Because, you know, I didn't really want to go to hell. And so that was the extent of my religiosity knowledge, at, uh, understanding at the time. I had a good background, but I just, I wasn't understanding things. Um, and so I thought, well, let me at least, you know, kind of be good and try this and do that stuff. I can remember at age 12 thinking, um, I'll be a pastor because certainly every pastor would go to heaven. Um, Two things wrong with that. One, it's not true, <laughs> right? There are plenty of pastors who might not be going to heaven because getting a job is not what gets you to heaven. And also, I didn't want remotely to be a pastor. <laughs> like, what a bizarre thing that would be. Uh, you know, because I was totally, I was, I'm sure at that time, all the Major League Baseball scouts were looking at me because that's where I was headed. Um, and the, but, uh, but, but I, I was also, I struggled with pride and I was afraid to ask people, I don't understand the gospel. I was afraid, I was just too prideful to say, okay, I believe in a heaven and a hell and this Jesus thing, but how do you get to heaven? How do you avoid hell? And is there something in between called this earth that's worth living? And so I was, I was in, in that thing and I was, we were in, in Florida um, over spring break um, and I found, let me see if I have it here. My brother had been, was at Penn State at the time, and he was a pretty radical Jesus follower. My family actually thought he was in a cult because he was talking about Jesus. And, you know, that's just weird when you're in a mainline denomination. And so, um, he, well, if he was in a cult, I joined it too um, years later. And I guess this was started out of that cult. Uh, but, but I found in his Bible... It was yellow, or, or orange, I'm sorry, but it was this. It's the little thing that said Bridge to Life. It was put out by the Navigators, any of you who remember the Navigators. There were others out there like it. Billy Graham Society had one called uh, Peace, Steps to Peace with God. Um, Campus Crusade, which is now called Crew, had something similar called the Four Spiritual Laws. Anyways, though, I found this little thing in Mike's Bible in Florida in spring of my junior year, and I read the thing this was how dramatic my conversion was. I read it, and I thought, oh my gosh, that makes sense. I get it. That was my conversion. It took 
a simple picture to give me understanding to all the things I'd never quite connected before. And I mean, it was, it really, my life changed. I have, uh, I had an English teacher. I still stay in touch with her. And, and the first seven months I had her, everything I wrote and read was all about baseball. I came back from Florida in March and all my writing was about Jesus. And she noted, we talk, it's kind of a funny thing to go on. It just, things changed. All I want to do today is I want to show you in the most simplistic way what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. I'm going to use pictures. I'm going to use, I guess I can jump. I need to stick. Look at this thing. I don't even know why we have this or what it is, but I found it this morning. If any of you try to get closer to six feet from me, stay back. Got that? Um, here we go. Let me just tell you simple stuff. I want you to get this. I want you to take pictures of this. I want you to understand it. It's, there's a, there's, it's on our Facebook group page. We'll text it to you. We'll print these out, whatever. Here we are right here. It says right there, we are in trouble. Until you recognize that we are in trouble, you will never get out of trouble. So what's the trouble? The trouble is we're over here. God's over here, and there's a huge separation between us. What separates us, sin separates us. It happened in the Garden of Eden, and it never got better. Sin immediately separated Adam and Eve from God, and we've been separated from God ever since. I hesitate. I'm, is the clock quicker in outside than inside? It is. Okay, I thought so. Because it definitely seems to be. Um, I'm going to give you some verses. You can write them down. Isaiah 59, all of Isaiah 59, let me encourage you to read it. But especially Isaiah 59 verse 2 says clearly, your sin has separated you from your God. And he, he, what Isaiah is prophesying to Israel that they have done terrible things. And they said, listen, you're separated from God because of your sin. Sin separates us from God. Why does it happen? Because God is holy. You say, well, well, gee, couldn't God just overlook that and have me, you know, why couldn't he just reach out and give me a hug? Listen, it's not possible. The rules God set up, a holy God cannot embrace sin. They cannot. They can't be there. They, they don't go together. You can't say, well, just Come on, just be nice and let me in, God. He says, I'd love to, but it's not possible. Sin and a holy God are forever separated. They're separated. And that's what problem is. Sin separates people from God. And it's every person, every generation, every culture, anywhere at any time, this is the problem. So if you look at today's world, I want you to hear this. The problem is... Sin. Oh, no, no, no. You say the problem is a conspiracy here and this person's an idiot. And that, yep, all those things might be true, but they're not the problem. The problem we always face is sin. How is sin manifest? In a thousand ways. Sin comes out in every imaginable way. Sin is simply anything that is not straight in line with the will of God. That's sin. 
It's missing where God wants us to go. So I, I want you to just see this, because this is where, even though they usually don't speak of it, this is where most people live their life. They're in trouble. They might know it, might not know it, but they don't verbalize it. Okay? They're in trouble, but they don't know what to do with it. So here's what we try to do. We try to create little ways that make us feel better. Whatever, this little, this little thing says religion. Man, there's a lot of religions out there. Why do we have religions? You know why we have religions? Because every person ever in every culture at every time span understands there's a problem. If we didn't think there was a problem, there would be no whatever. Hinduism, Buddhism, animism, Satanism, humanism, whatever ism you want to put out there, you, it wouldn't exist except for the fact that we know there's a problem. So we create religions. Here's the biggest religion that we have now, sorry, um, is that the doing good religion, right? We just do good. A lot of people try that. Is doing good bad? No, it's better than doing bad. But doing good does not get you any closer to God than anything else that you try. It, it talks in Isaiah also, it says, it says, your righteousness is like filthy rags before God. So what we do that we think is so great is a filthy rag before a holy God. It's not going to do that. So here's what, this is what we're struggling right now. Here's what we've got now. We've got, I mean, it's called different things. It's, it's the cancel culture, right? Why are, we, why are we trying to eradicate all of our past? You know why? Because we understand this. Whenever somebody says, let's remove that statue, get rid of that name, call that person, get rid of the, what are they doing? They're saying, we have a problem. And we got to do something to fix it. So let's uh, get rid of everything bad we've ever done. Let me just tell you something about the cancel culture. Here's, here's what eventually happens in a cancel culture. A cancel culture must eventually cancel you. Why? Because you're part of the problem. I, I, heard, I don't, I don't want to get into it because there's, there's funny stuff, but I've, I've heard some, even on the, in, the, in, the, in the house, somebody was making a case that we had to cancel um, and get rid of one of the uh, political parties because it had a sordid past. Well, yeah. You know what happens when you want to cancel everything that's bad? You will cancel yourself. Cancel culture will eventually get rid of you. It doesn't work. It is completely foolishness to say if we could just get rid of something bad that happened in 18, 19, 2000, whenever, if we just get rid of that, then we'll be good. No, it won't work. Cancel culture doesn't work because the issue is sin and nothing gets rid of sin that we try or that we can do in uh, uh, Proverbs 14.2 uh, says there's a way that seems right to man but in the end it leads to death. That's what this is. Right now, if you say what's, what is going on in America right now? What's going on in America right now is in a weird way we have understood this. And so we are trying this. But you do understand that this falls short and it doesn't make it. And this is what America's doing right now. They're that guy right there. That's America. What's America doing right now? 
We're all doing, ah! And we want to look the best doing, ah! But we're all falling in the pit and headed to hell. We're trying ridiculous things. It's not going to work. It won't work. It can't work. The problem is sin, and anything we try can't work. In, in, uh, in Romans 6.23, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll just write down a whole bunch of scriptures and, and shoot them out to something. Um, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. That means if you sin, you get paid for it. And what's the payment for sin? Death. Well, that's a lousy job you just took. Friday comes, it's payday, and they say, hey, thanks for working for sin for a week. Here's your payment, and it's called death. Natural death and eternal death. That's what the payment is. That's everything that doesn't make it right there. Anyways, I want to get to where the good news is. Here's, here's the good news. There's actually hope. There's, you can beat this, right? Everybody's looking for a cure for whatever, right? I always get a kick out of, as Americans, whenever we try to find a cure, we give money. It just kind of makes me smile. We give money to Corona. I go, what? As if we don't, if, is the issue resources, right? <laughs> Gee, we never thought about spending money to fix this disease. Right? So we'll try anything to get the solution. But let me just tell you the reason that we give money to cancer or to heart disease or to Alzheimer's or whatever. You know why? Because the cure is usually expensive. It's usually expensive. Well, let me just tell you, the cure for sin was super expensive. So expensive that you can't afford it. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, if you sin, which you do, by nature you're a sinner and by action you sin. You got double whammy on that. You came as a sinner and you demonstrated it your whole life. So the wages of sin is death. Therefore, you can pay for your own sin. You know what it's called? Death and damnation. That's what you got to pay for your sin. You can pay for it. And that's what it costs you. Cause you, you're, you're going to physically die, and then if you want to keep paying for your sin, you're going to be in hell forever. That's the cost of sin. Well, that's why, of course, I'm so thankful there's a roof on this. Are you getting wet in the back row? You okay? Yeah, I noticed you're getting closer. You should have sat up here. I warned you. I, I actually will be, if you do need to move, please do. You don't have to sit back there. Um, you're welcome to not get wet. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, but, but I just want, want you to hear this and then we're going we, we're gonna to end. I just want you to hear that Jesus paid for sin. That's what he did. He paid for sin. This is what he did. Why did Jesus come? What was the cross all about? The cross was him dying. Why did he have to die? People will ask this. Well, why did Jesus have to die? This is why. The wages of sin is death. You got to die. That's the only way you can pay for sin is death. If you're a sinner, which you and I are, we can pay for sin. It's our death. My death can pay for my sin, and I can end up in eternal damnation. But if one would come from God, who was perfect, did not have a sinful nature and never sinned in his life, and he willingly 
took our place. He didn't have to pay for his sin, so therefore he could take the sin of the entire world on him and die for it. Defeat death. Defeat all the punishment. Defeat it all. And, and here's what he does. He says, I didn't need this. I was, I'm fine. I don't need this salvation. He says, so I'll offer it to you. He says, if you want it, you can have it. And so he paid for the sins of the world. And when you come to him, believe in him, trust in him, you get it. So here's what we have here. That we do, there is a bridge. There is a bridge between us and the heavenly father. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, and it says there on the bottom, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. We actually put up God there because it, when you see a random scripture, sometimes that Father thing needs interpreted. So same type of thing. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to come to God. He says, I'm it. 1 Timothy 2 and 5 says there's, there's, there's mankind and there's God and there's one mediator between God and man. One. Not two, not five. There's one. And it's Jesus. It's what he did. It's the cross of Christ. Why is right now the biggest need that any nation has right now is the cross of Christ? Why? Because it's at the cross. What are we doing? We are fighting right now and dealing with symptoms of sin. And so we're trying things to fix sin. They're not bad things, but we think they will fix sin. Wear this t-shirt will fix this problem. Put this hashtag on your page, we'll fix the problem. Watch this video, we'll fix the problem. Whatever it is, say this slogan. Take it, it doesn't matter, whatever, whatever we're trying doesn't fix the problem and it's not necessarily wrong to do it as long as you understand it doesn't fix the problem. You can't fix racism by hugging somebody. You can't. Nothing wrong with hugging somebody, but that's not going to fix racism. What is racism? It's a product of sin. The only way to fix racism is to go deep into the sin issue, and then as the fruit of the Spirit comes out, you eliminate hatred. It's the only answer. It's the only, it's the only solution. It's the only cure. We have to go at the sin issue, and the only way to go at the sin issue is right there through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Listen, I am bold enough to say, and I hope you are too, I literally know the answer for every problem the world is facing today. The answer is simple. Now, walking it out isn't. I'm not being flippant here. I totally understand there's as much racism in the church as there is in the world. I'm not a fool to think that, oh, just believe in Jesus and everything's better. No, no. Now we get into a second thing. You've got to walk this thing out because the cross of Christ is not just coming to it once. It's living there. And if you're at the cross, you're dead and you don't have much of an opinion, but you sure love everybody else. That's where we need to be. That's the answer for the world. It's the cross and then it's living, living under the cross. And it's a constant dying to self. But it was the cross that made the bridge to the Father. This is the beginning. Without this, we're living here and all we're doing is pushing each other over the edge because as long as we're the last one standing, we feel like we're king of the hill. The answer's in Jesus Christ as the bridge, the only way to the Father. It's it. 
Salvation can be found in no other name given under heaven. There's no other name by which man must be saved but Jesus. That's it. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we get into that place of knowing and loving Jesus and following Him and getting to the cross? Well, here's the problem. The problem that most people don't, they struggle with is it's kind of too easy. You see, it was extraordinarily expensive. So Jesus says, I got it covered, guys. He paid for it all. It was extraordinarily, it is extraordinarily painful. This is what Jesus says, guys, you couldn't handle it. I got you covered, right? It's extraordinarily difficult. But he says, guys, you're just not sharp enough to handle all this. I got it. You see, salvation is all about him. All about him. Here's our part. When the jailer in the, in the, in the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 16, I don't want to go into this, uh, but, but he came, a miracle happened in jail. And he busted out and he, was, he, didn't, he thought he was going to be dead. And he says, guys, what must I do to be saved? And Paul so very quickly said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then he also prophesied about, you're going to get saved and so is your household, which they did. The simplicity of this, which is, it's, a, it's trouble for a Western mindset. It's too simple. It's too simple because it completely breaks down all your pride. We do not want to come to something that's too simple. We don't want to come to somebody, something that doesn't take any work, doesn't take any cost. We're tough. We can do it. We can handle it ourselves. The sooner you admit we are in trouble is the sooner you're going to get to hear and recognize this. And once you recognize this, and then you see that it's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You can then therefore get to here. And what is here? This is when you can, what do we sing today? Good, good father, right? You know that you can't sing good, good father if you're here. Can't do it. But when you get here, you say, wow. Why didn't I do this 38 years ago? Why didn't I do this? This is so, wow, it's so, oh, look at, and then you, you, you get to where you're trying to describe it to somebody, and you're like, it's like, well, I don't know, it's like, it's like, oh, it's so good, and they say, man, you are a nut, and you say, I guess I am, but you know what, I'm not in trouble anymore, I'm now with the Father, and I'm living there, and I found out how to cross over and it's available to anybody. You, me, them. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care how old you are. I don't care when you were born, where you were born, what you do, it doesn't matter. God made this so simple because he knows that we're not so smart. So my heart today, my heart is so simple, people, that we would understand what the gospel is. I want you to get it. I want you to get the gospel. I just want you to understand it because it does go through our mind. It's a spirit thing, but we need to understand it. I wanted you to give you the clearest way possible to understand this. And then I want you to understand this is the answer. 
We're talking about David taking down Goliath. He might as well have thrown the gospel at Goliath. That's a weapon. He says, we're going after it. So I'm taking you down with the simplicity of the gospel. So if today you look at this and say, wow, for the first time, I really understand this. Hey, it's there for you. Make sure you go from quadrant three to quadrant four. How do you do it? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's really simple. Just a simple, I repent that I thought I could get there with those yellow short things. I couldn't do it. So I repent of that and I believe in you and I trust in you alone. He says, man, I'm so glad you did. Come walk right across that bridge called the cross and you'll live with him today and forever. And let me tell you, I do totally understand that the way to the Father is narrow, but it's, got, it's wide enough for everybody who turns to Jesus. So don't think that if I let one more person on this bridge, I don't have enough room. Nope, it's narrow. It's one person, but it's whosoever comes will come through that one person. Let me pray for you and then we'll go. Father, just give us that heart. Give us the heart of simplicity. Take away our, our pride and our ego and, and thinking this, that, and the other thing. Father, just have us simply come to you and humbly say, we need you alone for our salvation. Thank you. It's by your grace that we understand it. And then, Father, also, may this become so evident to this region, to the nations of the world, to this nation, that there's a massive turning to the gospel, not to a philosophy, not to an idea, but to the gospel alone. And turn us to the gospel alone and away from all our philosophies and baggage that we've just been collecting and have us run to the cross and have the cross take us directly to you, our amazing Father. Thank you that this is the tool that defeats the enemy, that we would turn to you. Hallelujah, hallelujah.